0: we are grateful to be back in the house of the Lord we're picking back up from where we left off in first Samuel and we've made it all the way to the fourth chapter of first Samuel now and we're excited to be moving on so you'll take note the title is um, too little too late too little too late and as we flesh this sermon out that that will have a little bit more context for you now you have all heard like I've heard the term you know wrong place, wrong time, but many of us have probably experienced firsthand wrong place, wrong time. For the most part, this typically means that there was some sort of opportunity that was initially afforded to us, and then we missed it. More specifically, it was probably an opportunity that was previously presented to us and we actually failed to act accordingly on it when it was initially presented. Now, for most of us, this means nothing more than a few years of reflection and maybe a little bit of regret. You think, man, if I had done this at that time, or if I had done that at this time, I would be here, If I, I would be there. If I had just listened to my parents when they told me to do this, then I would be better off than I am right now. Sometimes for us, that's the extent of it, right? If I just listened, taking this advice, done this, done that, I'd be a little bit better off. But there are also those times, I think all of us could pinpoint a few of those in our lives, and we think that, you know, because I didn't do this thing or because I didn't do that thing, I still live with the consequences of that decision I made no matter how long ago that decision was made. There are some times that there are consequences that are so severe that it doesn't just last a few years here and there, it doesn't just last a decade, but it lasts the rest of our lives. And I think every time we point back, those are almost always some sort of divine, spiritual encounter where we knew what the truth of what God's word has said regarding a matter, and yet we disregarded what he said And because of that, there are those lifelong ramifications. Now, this is twofold, and we are going to work through this sermon, but I want to go ahead and give it to you now. There are two things that poor timing will do. The first one is poor timing will have eternal ramifications for the unbeliever. Poor poor timing will have eternal ramifications for the unbeliever. That's the first thing. The second thing is that poor timing will leave the believer with lifelong regret. And so the impact is not as significant, you would think, just by reading that, but it doesn't mean that the believer has less to bear than the unbeliever. And as we go further, this is all going to make sense to us in this sermon. Now, before we get into it, I think one of the things that we do need to understand is that God has timing to everything that he does. God has timing to everything that he does. And we are told this in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3. He tells us, you know, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There is a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Romans 1 tells us that there is a time in our lives where we have all received the general revelation of the knowledge of God's existence Every single person that has ever existed with the capacity to be able to understand God and his creation has lived knowing at some point in their lives that there is an eternal creator who has made everything. Sing about it. Be glorified in the heavens. Be glorified in the earth. The way that we know there is a God is that his creation sings of him. The stars, when they shine, they are but radiating the glory of God. Where plants grow, where no man has sown, they are radiating the creation of God. And we, alas, radiate that we are made in God's image. We are icons of him. So we are told that there is a time where all of us is made aware that God exists in general revelation but we are also told that there is a time that we have all been exposed to gospel truth and are told that there is a time where we will be judged on the basis of that truth and we will have a verdict rendered on our lives either because of our righteousness or that of Jesus. The thing that we must wrestle with is responding to what happens in life according to God's timing. Our text today will show what happens when we fail to respond. And it will also show us what desperation looks like when we try to overcorrect or we've fallen short in our lives. So go with me if you will. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're starting at verse number 1. It says, and the, word of the, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may be among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons, Eli, Hophni, and and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, The Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines brought and Israel fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, if you remember. After the immorality of Hophni and Phinehas was becoming even more prevalent, and even with Eli ignoring it, God spoke directly to Samuel concerning them. And he told him that Eli's son, because of their sin and because of the fact that their father ignored, they were going to die. Now, this death, just so we're clear, was God's response for them having profaned his temple. They had profaned the office of the priesthood. Now, before we get to their deaths, we need to get to the lead up to their deaths. We are introduced to a war here first between the Philistines and the Israelites. Now, one of the things that we are not told contextually here is who started the fight? Who started the war? And that's not necessarily relevant here, but let me tell you why. Because before this time, one of the things that we see, whether God instructed Israel to fight or they were attacked, as long as they were in right standing with God, they prevailed. They always won. But whenever there was sin around them, it always led to a defeat. And that's the corollary. Early on in the book of Judges, it is made clear that the sin of Israel was connected to any military defeat they suffered. Repentance, however, would always lead them to victory. How great was the moral decline in Israel, do you remember? It was so great that they forgot that there was even a connection to their sins and their defeats in the first place. And that brings us to our first point. And it's as cogent, I mean, so eloquent today. Very intellectual point. Number one, sin makes us stupid. Very simple. Sin makes us stupid. Stupid, yes. But, you know, sin also makes us arrogant. Look how foolish they are. And this is from the top of their leadership. I want you to think about this. They say, why has the Lord defeated us today? Listen, their theology is actually right. They knew that it was the Lord that defeated them, but the way they got there was wrong. They presume that God is doing this because he has some sort of greater expectation of them than just their obedience to him. They started to feel in their calluses that he is no longer a good and holy God, but he is now like the gods of their rivals. He is random and he is vengeful and he does things without reason. That's what sin does to us, by the way. It makes us look everywhere else for the cause of our failure other than in the mirror. In the midst of sin, we lose perspective and we lose sight of how far we have strayed away from God. One of the things that I've noticed since we moved a little bit further out is that most days when I drive home, I don't even realize that I've gotten to the destination. I just pop up and I'm home and I don't realize from the time I left Fairfield or the time I left wherever I left to pick up the kids, I almost don't even notice I've been driving. It's almost like my consciousness goes away and then I pop up. I'm like, how in the world did I get home? You know, it's interesting because that's actually the same thing that sin does to us. We become so accustomed to the path of our sin, the way that we go, that we've actually forgotten just how far away we've gotten. The nature of the sin of Israel is happening in this same way. They literally could not understand why God left them astray. But this is the kicker. God had not left them. They left him. They knew that there was a history of God fighting battles on their behalf and even causing them to prevail. But in their arrogance, they probably believed that they were the reason for their success. James 4 and 6 tells us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The Bible shows us clearly here that God actively opposes the proud, but to the humble, he gives more grace. There is a removal of God's protective grace when we charge the work of God to ourselves. That happens when our sins take hold of our lives. It makes us stupid. Sin makes us arrogant. And it makes us lose sight of how far we've strayed. Our senses are dulled and we become desensitized to sin. Again, James 1.22 tells us that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once he forgets what he looks like. When we only hear God's word and it doesn't transform who we are, then we will lose perspective of where we are. And this is what happened to Israel. And I think we must all ask ourselves this question. This is a question that we must all ask ourselves. Does my expectation of God line up with the life that I'm living? Does my expectation of God line up with the life that I'm living? If I had a job and I never got to work on time, if I never did their job right, and if I always got into fights with my coworkers, Why would I ever expect a raise or a promotion? And I think this is where most Christians struggle. But I want to be clear. Are we saved by works? No. We are saved by faith in Jesus. Your obedience will not produce faith. But here's the kicker. Once we have been gifted faith, it then produces in us obedience. Jesus says in the Gospels that if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, then how much more will the Father give to you who ask? But how should one ask? The Bible says we should ask according to his will. Well, how do I know his will? I must know his word. What is my response to the word? It must be obedience. I guarantee that if I was able to keep the job and I walked into the manager's office, they would say, Brandon, you're delusional. Once Israel, the Israelites realize that God is not favoring them, then they try to come up with some cheap way to appease him. So the first point is that sin makes us stupid. The second one is repentance, not good deeds, will get us out. Repentance, not good deeds, will get us out. Look look at their cheap attempt to appease God. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come with us, come among us, and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Look at what is happening with them. Once they realize that they are not going to prevail on their own, they then possibly do one of the dumbest things that you will ever see in the Bible. They go get the Ark of the Covenant and they are now holding it up to God like, oh, God, is this what you want God? We, we have it now. Here it is. Boom. Now do your God stuff. That's that's their expectation. It's like, all right, we realized we didn't have it with us. But now you should favor us in this battle because here it is. This is what you're looking for. I mean, what a sorry attempt to appease God as if he's some fake makeshift god that we've learned about they resorted to cheap flattery when they should have resorted to repentance remember two weeks ago i mentioned that joshua and the israelites were going to fight and they lost the battle but when they lost joshua knew that it was because there was sin somewhere in the camp of the israelites and so he pleaded before God because sin was not so familiar to him. And he could see that the effects that they were living with was because of someone's sin. See, they'd known about the way God was with Moses. They knew about the way that God had been with Joshua. And so when they fought their holy wars, they presumed upon themselves And when they saw that God was not with them, they wanted to know, how can we appease him? Now, this idolizing of the ark and thinking that they could summon powers from God, you know, as stupid as we may think they are, y'all know we do the same thing. We do the same thing. It just doesn't look the same way. See, you know, they didn't learn from their predecessors who had fashioned a golden calf, but There is this other component. They're desperate, and desperation always breeds disobedience. And disobedience has consequences. But look, you think we don't do it, you act like we don't make idols out of fasting. We don't make idols out of prayer, especially when we have sinned in some dramatic way and it is a risk that the sin is going to be found out. We are no different than David when the word of the Lord came to him that his son was going to die and he thought fasting and praying would change the will of God. Listen, there is nothing that you or I can do to change the will of God. Merely my prayer should always be that I have to accept What God allows, especially when what God is allowing is because of my sin. I cannot dig for myself a hole because of my sin and think that doing some mere act of obedience is going to be enough to get me out of it. So we do the same thing they did. That's not how it works. Now here, though they attempted, there was nothing they could do to change what God proclaimed through Samuel would happen. And that that was that judgment was going to happen to Israel and judgment was going to happen on the life of Hophni and Phinehas. Now, here's where we get into the meat of this sermon. Because Hophni and Phinehas are killed. They are killed in this battle And God made it clear that this was happening because of the way that they rebelled. I want you to hear this. Sin has a price. Sin has a price. The wages of sin, the payment for our sin is death. Now listen, does God suffer long? Yeah, he does but there are ramifications for rejecting him. Why did I talk about seasons and timing in the beginning of the sermon? Because the Bible says that there is timing and a season to everything that God does. It says that there is a time to be born, and if there's a time to be born, there is a time to die. Now, the Bible says also that It is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. So what exactly is happening in our lives in between all that time? I can tell you what's happening. God is showing himself to us all throughout his creation. God is giving us encounters with people and he is giving us this grace to come into the knowledge of the faith. He is suffering long with us. Now, like we see above, who does he give more of that grace to, though? He gives that grace to the humble. But you know what he does to the proud? He humbles them. But he has given us all common grace as he suffers long with us. Romans Chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us about this. It says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such thing and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey our unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress from every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Listen, there is a time to sow, and there is a time... To reap paul says here that god has given us grace and time and kindness not to let us think that we are escaping his judgment but rather he has given us all this time hoping and desiring that it would lead us to repent between the time eli's sons began their sin until the prophecy of samuel came why did god allow that to happen He was giving them time to repent. He was giving space to look at their lives and assess and think, you know, we have gotten away with this sin for quite some time. Maybe God is not going to be as gracious in the future as he is right now. Maybe we should look at the grace we've received and repent. Because they knew that at some point God was going to render a judgment. Now, you say, well, maybe they were too dumb to change, but not me. I know better. I ain't too dumb to change. Uh Uh-uh. Let's go back to our friend who was showing up to work late. He wasn't doing his job. He was surprised that he didn't get the promotion. Let's say one day that same friend gets a call into the office, and his boss says, hey, Jim, We got to let you go, buddy. And Jim goes, what? Why? What, what, What did I do? His boss goes, well, you show up to work late every day. You haven't really been doing the job, and you've been getting in fights with all your coworkers. How are you surprised by this? We've documented every time you clocked in late. Look, Jim says, But I thought you were okay with it because you never said anything. Well, we never said anything, Jim, because we were trying to give you space to change. And you never changed. You got worse. And he says, but you could have given me a hint, a clue, a sign, something. He says, Jim, we did. He said, did you notice that clock that just all of a sudden appeared in your office out of nowhere? Jim goes, oh, yeah, I did notice that. He said, did you ever notice the, the little song that we played right outside your office every time you came into work? He's like, "Uh, no, that, oh, I did notice the song. What was the song, Jim? Time after time. He says, "Okay, I get it. I get it. He's like, no, 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 I don't think you do. He said, do you remember the 30 minute conversation we had about setting alarms? (laughs) He said, no, no, I understand. I get it now. I had time. I had time. This is what Jesus patterns for us in the life of the rich young ruler and Lazarus. The rich young ruler dies and goes to hell and he begs to go back and warn his brothers. And he is told, your brothers, like you, had Moses and the prophets. They won't even believe even if a man comes back from the dead. The time was up for him and he now realized that he had time with his brothers as well and that time was wasted. See, there is this realization that we all must realize. On one end, we may realize one day if we're not a believer that I had all the time in the world and that time was wasted and I have to have to accept the judgment that will be rendered for my life. I have to accept that my works are not found faithful. But there is coming a day as well we may realize that even if I am a believer that there were people in my life who had a judgment rendered on them and I knew they weren't believers and I never shared my faith. The third and final point. Don't waste your time. Don't waste others. Don't waste your time and don't waste others. Eli comes to this realization. The rich young ruler comes to this realization. I had time for Eli. I had time to influence my sons. For the rich young ruler, I had time to lead my brothers in the truth. And now the time is up. That time is gone. It's done. God has placed people in our paths and this is the time For us to sow. The Bible makes it clear. It says you are to work while it is day. Because there is night coming. And when the night comes. No man works. This is the time for us to be sowing into people's lives. And realize that every person that we come in contact with. That person is ground. You want to sow seeds of the truth and the gospel into that ground, hoping that it grows into the good fruit of salvation. So that when the great harvester comes, when the great reaper comes, that there will be fruit, not just fertilizer. When we lived in our last home, we had a neighbor and he was like the neighbor of the neighborhood. His name was Melvin. Melvin literally did everything for everybody. When we weren't there, he looked over our house. He always had the scoop on everything that was going on. He was that kind of neighbor. But the problem with Melvin is that he wasn't a believer. And, you know, we had lived there for four years, and me and Melvin, we found out he went to school with my mother-in-law, and we knew a lot of people, and... We would just talk. Sometimes he'd be watching the kids while they play, throw the football with them, go on walks with Krista around the neighborhood. I had to keep my eye on that, though. But you know, you know, I, I knew about Melvin. I knew the life that he was living. I was like, you know, I know Melvin's not a Christian. And after about four years, I was like, you know, I need to have this conversation with Melvin about his life because I know what's going on. And I kept putting it off because. I was like, all right, Melvin's in his early 60s, so, I mean, he still has some time. Um, I'm not too worried about it. He's right next door. I always have this opportunity to share, and I just kept putting it off. One day, me and Krista were leaving out of our subdivision. As we were leaving out, we actually saw the paramedics pulled in, and we both said, oh, I hope they're not going to our neighbor's house, and so much so because Melvin's mom lived in the same house. We even said, oh, man, I hope they're not you know, checking on his, his mother. And I had this, you know, sinking feeling. I said to Chris, I said, I hope they're not checking on Melvin. Well, sure enough, we get back home and, you know, you can always tell when something's out right. You can just feel it. And the next day, Melvin's niece came next door and she knocked on the door and told us that Melvin had died. Just in an instant, I mean, just in one moment, Melvin was gone. And in that moment, Yeah, there's grief. I'm grieving that Melvin isn't there anymore, but there's also this overwhelming sense of regret. There is the realization that for him, that time is up. I had not been to him the true friend that I should have been. I had not shared the truth with him the way that I should have. I mentioned in the beginning of the sermon, for the unbeliever, that can be, you know, the risk of their eternity but for the believer who knows what's right and knows the truth when we don't share i'll never be able to outlive that regret i'll never be able to outlive the burden of knowing that i had a man right next door to me that i saw every day and i never thought just share the gospel listen we have a limited amount of time with everyone And I can guarantee you, no matter how long a person lives, it's not enough time. You're going to always think, no matter how long they live, I wish I had more time. I wish they had more time. This is my final admonition. We have to share the gospel as much as we can because we don't know how much time anybody has. This is why God charges us to share. Yes, God knows who will respond and be saved, but we don't. And so every person you come in contact with, specifically if you know that person's life, that person is ground. Why do we believe what we believe about our church? Know Christ, grow in Christ, so Christ in others. Because time is finite. And there is coming a day. See, we read it. There is a time to sow. And there's going to be a time to reap. And for those of us who believe, this is the crazy part. We are not reaping our sinful acts. But we are reaping the righteousness of Jesus Christ in eternity. But the burden for our brothers and sisters who don't believe and don't know is that they are reaping for themselves the penalty of their works. We have a job. And that is to share the faith. That is to make disciples out of everyone we come in contact with. And you never know when the moment you have with someone may be the last moment. That you have. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we know that there there is a day that comes where it is too little, too late. God, there is a day where we can no longer share, we can no longer encourage, we can no longer admonish. There is a day that comes where There's a service that we won't be present at. There's a preaching that we won't hear. And God, we know that up until that time, you are revealing yourself to us so that we would see you repent and believe the gospel. But also, God, you are placing us as believers on the paths of others and you are placing other people in our paths so that we will share our faith. And God, listen, we, we understand enough to know that nobody's eternity hinges on us. And we're grateful for that. And we have to remind ourselves of that. That you will save who you will save. But God, we don't want somebody else to come sow what we should have sown because of our disobedience. God, help us see everybody as ground. Help us live our lives knowing that we have have the righteousness of Jesus credited to our accounts. And that the only way we will make an impact in the world or in the person next door to us is that we be bold enough to share our faith. God, there's anybody in this room who who feels like the rich young ruler, who feels like Hophni and Phineas? who seem like they are escaping the judgment of God. Lord, I pray that this sermon is um, a warning and a reminder that there is a time coming. God, none of us know when that time is. It may be for some of us. It may be decades from now. Some of us, it may be a few years from now. God, some of us, it may be few weeks from now we don't know but god help us see that you are our only hope for salvation you are you are our only hope to escape the wrath and judgment of god and i just pray that this sermon would open and enlighten in jesus name we pray amen